Students Against Sweatshops is set to begin its Nike Town mobilization for 2007. Uh, in particular, this uh, Sunday at Nike Town on Rodeo Drive and Wilshire, you could come and listen to uh, factory workers from Nike talk about the conditions in the factories. But uh, today, we'll be taking a look at United Students Against Sweatshops Nike Town mobilization. Uh, our guest today is Zach Kaur, and uh, he is International Campaigns Coordinator for United Students Against Sweatshops, which is an organization of more than 250 college and high school groups in the U.S. and Canada that work to use their power as students to support workers who are attempting to transform their working conditions. And uh, joining us is uh, Zach. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, why don't uh, we begin? What exactly is Nike Town Mobilization? Okay, um, so I guess this is going to require us going, uh, doing a little background. But um, so there's a factory in the Dominican Republic uh, called BJMB that produces or used to produce hats, um, and a lot of these hats they produced for universities. Um, Workers in this factory have been trying to organize a union for a long time, um, had faced a series of uh, problems in the factory, including uh, you know, harassment by management, uh, people being fired for trying to form a union, being forced to work uh, long hours, sometimes unpaid overtime, and making wages uh, you know, that weren't nearly enough to support uh, a family. So through a few, a few struggles that were unsuccessful, um, Eventually, workers at BJMB um, kind of partnered up with uh, students and activists in the United States um, and Canada. So, uh, you know, workers were putting pressure on their factory management to have the union recognized, and students on the universities were putting pressure on their universities and, uh, and Nike to force uh, the brands in that factory to allow the workers to unionize. And eventually, through that, workers in 2003 one union recognition, and through that they won a collective bargaining agreement that, that guaranteed them a 10% pay increase. Um, this was a really, really big victory. It was the first uh, recognized union in the free trade zone in the Dominican Republic. Um, and it was a big international story. It actually got some coverage in, in the New York Times. Um, unfortunately, the victory was fairly short-lived. Um, as soon as the union got recognized, most of the brands that were in the factory pulled out all of their orders because they didn't want to pay a little bit more for their goods um, to have them produced in factories where workers actually had a voice on the job. Um, so uh, most of the brands pulled out right away. Um, and, wh and who were those brands, or who are those uh, brands? The, the biggest brands in the factory uh, were Adidas and Nike, uh, a couple of smaller brands, one of whom was Merge Left, which is a collegiate brand, were there. Adidas pulled out right away. Nike, instead of pulling out immediately, pulled out their orders more slowly, um, kind of an attempt to not look like they were pulling out right away, but, uh, but to, uh, to get their orders out of the factory. So um, recently, Nike withdrew um, its last amount of orders from the factory, which caused the factory to close down. Uh, fairly unexpectedly for the workers in the factory, um, leaving all the workers unemployed. Um, BJMB is one of the few sources of employment in the small town where it's located, which is the Alta Gracia in the Dominican Republic. So the, the culture of this factory um, is, was not only a deliberate attempt to destroy a union, but it will also have a devastating effect on, on the town itself. So students have been mobilizing um, 
both on their universities and now at uh, at Nike stores to try to pressure brands like Nike and Adidas to really make a commitment to one of these few factories where workers' rights are actually respected. Um, and, you know, we're telling them that if all their rhetoric about caring about workers means anything, that it means that they're supposed to support factories like this. Um, so on Sunday, we're going to actually have uh, Yeni Perez, uh, a worker from the factory in the Dominican Republic. She's uh, coming up to the U.S. to uh, do a speaking tour at different Nike stores and universities, and she's going to be at the Nike Town um, in L.A., and we're going to have students and community members there as well, and uh, we'll have a press conference and a protest out there. And what can listeners expect uh, showing up at uh, at the Nike Town on Sunday? Do do uh, the store managers are they aware that there's that this is going to be taking place outside? Is there going to be a big police presence, or is it uh, is there the the safety of knowing that there's going to be a press conference? So there's not much that uh, that the store managers could do without looking uh, looking rather uh, militant themselves. Yeah, I, I think the latter is probably the case. I mean, I, I, we're not going to do anything crazy. There will be, uh, you know, people with signs, and there will be some rallying. We'll be, uh, you know, we'll hear from uh, a student or two, and uh, definitely Yenny will be the primary focus. And I think people can expect to uh, to find out some things about Nike that they probably didn't know before. The uh, the location is of course uh, quite fitting because it is the Nike Town there on uh, Wilshire and Rodeo, right? Uh, that's right smack in the heart of Beverly Hills, is that not? Uh, it, it is, yeah, yeah. So the the uh, the juxtaposition is uh, is is quite telling. Uh, you know, it's interesting because particularly with the war going on and, and everything uh, taking place in uh, the year 2007, uh, there are a lot of uh, critics suggesting that activism on universities is dead, that students really don't, uh, don't care about uh, social, environmental, economic issues. Uh, what, how long have you been with Students Against Sweatshops, and what is your sense on uh, the level of student activism on campuses today? Well, I've been involved with United Students Against Sweatshops for three years, two years as a student um, at UC Riverside, and now one year, or well, not quite one year, uh, ten months as a, as a staff person. My sense is that activism is alive and well on university campuses. Um, I know, you know, just speaking for our organization, like what you said in the bio, we have active groups on more than 250 campuses. We have, uh, you know, we have days of action where we're routinely getting, you know, protests going on around uh, one single campus, you know, on, you know, 40 or 45 campuses. And, uh, you know, we definitely have uh, a lot of people um, involved in some very strategic campaigning on their campuses. And I know there's lots of things going on well beyond uh, just what we're doing. Like you said, there's a, a lot of mobilization around the war. And then last year you saw a ton of immigration, especially a ton of uh, mobilization, especially this time of the year, um, and especially in Southern California around uh, around immigration reform. Um, people are working on access to higher education. Um, I think there's all kinds of things going on on campuses. Um, it may not look exactly like it did in the '60s, um, but I think it's definitely there. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and I should let let uh, listeners know that I'm currently working. Uh, I'm a faculty advisor to um, the the 
the Titan Coalition Against Sweatshops at, at Cal State Fullerton, which uh, I know that you've been uh, involved with as well um, in your capacity with uh, United Students Against Sweatshops. But it, it is a different kind of, of activism, I think. I'm, I'm working with two students in particular. One is uh, a student that, uh, neither of which I've had uh, in my classes, which I think is important because typically it's it's professors who are kind of sometimes using students to uh, to further their own political agendas, kind of like uh, what is it the, um, the 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 parents of uh, child stars who didn't get to be stars themselves, and you see them you know really pushing the children to audition and so forth. I don't know if that made any sense, but. Um, uh, but I've got. I'm working with two students who are uh, involved in the uh, sweatshop free campaign. One of whom I met at protests out in the community, and so she's you know kind of the more militant one. And the other is just someone who who found out about the issue and is kind of more uh, mainstream, if you will, in her her political approach. And they were both expecting to have to boycott the bookstore and put up a fight and so on and so forth. And what they found is that if you simply educate fellow students, you could really um, really get them on board a campaign. And so it doesn't have the, the look or the excitement or the thrill of, say, the kind of protests at Berkeley in the 60s, but it, it doesn't mean that activism is dead. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the protests are definitely still still exciting. Um, yeah, they're they're exciting. I mean, I mean but, the yeah, the drama. Yeah, totally, I I agree. Um, I I mean, I think that we we are definitely living in a time where uh, at least the public perception of of activism and activists is very different, and I think it's definitely in the general public frowned upon. Um, but I think that you're right. Once once people are exposed to these issues and under and see concretely in front of them one what's what's going on and then two how much power that people have as students um on institute at institutions that care very much about their image and care very much about uh you know what people in the public think about them and at the same time have a significant degree of power um because of where they're situated within society i think that uh you know students see uh that there's there's a lot of value in participating in things like this not just not just the positive change that you can make um, as far as changing policies, um, but also just that you, I think people see a change in themselves that, uh, that people really like. I want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI and Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the Internet. This is Justice or Just Us, and we're speaking with Zach. Is it, is it Core or Knorr? Or Knorr. Knorr from uh, United Students Against Sweatshops, taking a look at... Uh, the Nike Town Immobilization. I was wondering if I could, uh, I want to read you a couple of statistics uh, about Nike from uh, Behind the Swoosh, Facts About Nike by the uh, Victoria International Development Education Association. And then um, after that, read from the Nike Code of Conduct and get your reaction if that's okay. Uh, Some statistics, the average daily wage for Indonesian workers making Nike products is $1.10. The average daily wage for Chinese workers making Nike products is uh, $2. Uh, the amount Nike CEO Phil Knight's stock in the company is reportedly worth $4.5 billion. Nike's 1999 revenues is $9 billion. Uh, and it goes, goes on and on and on, of course. The amount that um, uh, Nike paid Michael Jordan for promoting Nike products, $20 million. 
And uh, the approximate cost of making one pair of Nike running shoes is $5. Then you turn to Nike's uh, own code of conduct, and uh, it talks about... um, uh, well, the manufacturer does not use forced labor in any form. The manufacturer does not employ any person below the age of 18 to produce footwear. The manufacturer does not employ any person below the age of 16 to produce apparel. Uh, where local standards are higher, no person under the legal minimum age will be employed. Uh, in terms of compensation, it says the manufacturer provides each employee at least the minimum wage or the prevailing industry wage whichever is higher, and it goes on and on. How do you respond to Nike's code of conduct in uh, comparison to uh, the statistics that are cited? I mean, in many ways, I think the unfortunate thing is that Nike's code of conduct is simply a PR move for Nike um, so that they can say that certain standards are adhered to in their factories without actually doing any of the work necessarily possible. So, I mean, for one thing, if you go to Nike's webpage, they will themselves acknowledge that code of conduct is violated a lot every year in almost all their factories. Um, but just beyond that, um, I think the BJ&B case shows exactly why the code of conduct for a brand like Nike really doesn't matter that much. Because here you have a factory where Nike's code of conduct is supposed to guarantee that workers have the freedom to form a union and the freedom to freely associate. However, what it doesn't say is that Nike's actually going to stay in factories where workers do that. So what you have is a situation where workers exercise their right, um, which wasn't simply provided to them. It, it took uh, you know a decade worth of struggle as well as significant international pressure to, to allow that to happen. Um, and as soon as that happens... Um, Nike doesn't want to pay a couple cents more for their hats, um, a company that, like you said, is making billions of dollars in profit a year. They don't want to pay a couple cents more for their hats, so instead of actually making a commitment to the, to the principles in their code, it's easier for them to leave the factory and go somewhere where it's a couple cents cheaper. So as, as long as the company is, is going to be willing to... Uh, to, to leave a factory as soon as there are improvements just to save pennies, a code of conduct is going to be meaningless. Yeah, I think you, you put that really well. Um, you know, the other part about paying a minimum wage or the prevailing industry standard, whichever is higher, uh, is, is quite deceptive because a lot of um, the so-called developing countries, developing is such a euphemism. How long are they going to be developing when you know, they continue to be exploited? Um, don't have minimum wages. So the suggestion that they pay either the minimum wage or the prevailing wage, whichever is higher, is, is a bit deceptive. Uh, and, um, I mean, I, I encourage listeners, again, to, uh, to make it out on Sunday. It's at noon. Is that what time it is? It's at noon, yes. Okay. Um, and uh, finally, because um, I know you're on a cell phone and you've got a lot of organizing to do, how can listeners get involved with uh, United Students Against Sweatshops? Or uh, if they're not students, uh, what can people do if they, uh, they want to know more about how to mobilize against uh, sweatshops? Okay. Um, <coughs> sorry. The, um, if people want more information, I would definitely recommend they check out our website, which is www.studentsagainstsweatshops.org. That's all one word. Um, 
And um, as far as, you know, getting more involved other than that, I would recommend me an email um, asking how you can get more involved. My email address is uh, Z-A-C-K at USASnet.org. Um, and I think that, you know, United Students Against Watchups is a great place for students to get involved with these issues, but there are a lot of opportunities for, uh, for people who aren't students as well. There are a lot of community groups doing a lot of really good work. Um, you know, I know in, in Los Angeles in particular, uh, you know, there, there are so many, uh, so many sweatshops here in the U.S. as well people oftentimes forget about, and there are a lot of community organizations in uh, L.A. that work on things like that. I know there's Sweatshop Watch, uh, there's the L.A. Garment Workers Center, and, I mean, all these issues are connected as well. So there's a lot of great work in Southern California being done around, uh, around immigrants' rights. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's some strong unions in, in Southern California that are mobilizing people uh, around better contracts. So there are a million ways for people to get involved, and uh, Southern California is a place where a lot of that stuff is happening. Um, so, yeah. and, and then uh, finally, this might be a hard one for for you to answer, and uh, in which case I will defer to uh, to the folks this Sunday. But um, I've uh, traveled with students south of the border to uh, take tours of uh, the Maquiladoras and the Maquiladora Solidarity Networks uh, in Tijuana, and the workers there say whatever you do you know when we when students ask what can we do to uh to try to reverse sweatshop and and uh you know bad labor conditions in factories they say whatever you do don't boycott and that kind of caught all of us off guard um if we're not supposed to boycott what are we supposed to do um so yeah, that's a, that's a really good question yeah contrary to popular belief generally workers will tell you not to boycott because uh as I mean, as you can see from what I've been talking about, oftentimes a lot of what we do is trying to actually uh, ensure that workers maintain the jobs that they currently have, um, especially workers who are who are organizing and putting, uh, you know, taking risks in order to help make them better. So I think the best thing to do is to get involved with organizations that are running strategic campaigns targeting certain brands. So, for example, with the university market, we don't encourage our universities um, to stop doing business with these companies except in extreme cases. But what we generally fight for is to tell universities that if they want to continue doing business or tell brands that if they want to continue doing business with our university, they have to make sure certain things happen in their factories. And they have to, uh, you know, there has to be a guarantee that, say, workers really truly have the right to form a union and are going to be earning a living wage. So, you know, we, we try to force the, the, the brands and the companies that we're dealing with to change their practices. We want to change the industry. We don't necessarily want to uh, abandon it. it, I guess. Yeah, or abandon it. Or, or you know, it, it, it's uh, my understanding then is, is that um, students and, and others should um, work for a more lasting yes. change to the industry rather than uh, simply abandoning a particular product, which still leaves the the uh, the harmful structure of, of wages intact. Indeed, and I mean, you know, to look at clothing. Um, if you wanted to boycott clothes that were made in sweatshops, you would boycott pretty much everything. Um, the, the best way to to send that message is uh, is to uh, you know target a, a public brand like Nike, who commits a lot of abuses and 
force them through through a variety of means to really fundamentally change the way they do business, um, and that's what we're trying to do. Well, Zach, I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning on such short notice and uh, while on the road and on a cell phone. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, again, uh, people should turn out if they want to find out more to uh, Nike Town on the corner of Wilshire and Rodeo at noon. And uh, Zach, I hope to see you there. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. All right, bye. And we will be back after this musical break. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.